0: Leadership beyond a definition. The boundless potential to engage, to encourage, uplift, and guide. Conversations about growth. Leadership Unscripted with Dr. Virginia Hardy. I'm your host, Virginia Hardy. Welcome to Leadership Unscripted, navigating your leadership journey. Joining me today is my friend, Dr. Carrie Dixon, who is the 12th executive officer and seventh chancellor of Elizabeth City State University. Dr. Dixon has more than 20 years of experience in higher education administration. She has served in roles at North Carolina State University and the University of North Carolina System Office. Since 2015, Dr. Dixon has served as the chancellor of Elizabeth City State University. In 2020, Dr. Dixon was named to the newly formed Women in Aviation Advisory Board by U.S. Department of Transportation Secretary Elaine Chao. In 2019, North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper awarded Dr. Dixon the O North State Award, one of the highest honors granted by the state of North Carolina. And that award is awarded to individuals who have shown dedication and service beyond expectation and excellence to the great state of North Carolina. Dr. Dixon was also named by the HBCU Campaign Fund as one of the 10 most dominant HBCU leaders of 2020. We are very happy to welcome you, Dr. Dixon. Thank you for joining us today for this podcast. So so we're going to go ahead and get started. Our first question to you is being a transformative leader. What is the role you think, uh, think of a transformative leader in navigating an organization such as Elizabeth City State University and restructuring towards sustainable success? I know you've had to do a lot there and being able to get the institution ready to start really just taking off. How were you able as a tr- transformative leader to be able to navigate all of that?
1: So thank you for the question, Dr. Hardy, and thank you for inviting me to this podcast. Um, I think, you know, as I reflect back on my tenure at Elizabeth City State University and when I started as chancellor, the first thing I knew that I had to have was a clear-eyed approach, and a clear-eyed approach meaning understanding exactly what the challenges were at the time that the university was experiencing, and really transforming that into the vision as to what are the actions that are going to be put in place to make sure that those challenges are being addressed and being addressed uh, strategically and intentionally. And so as a transformative leader, I see myself as one who, you know, definitely has to work with my stakeholders, has to work and develop a, a strong relationship with my board of trustees and getting them to support the change because not, you know, change is not always welcomed and change doesn't always feel good to everyone. But in, this, in the situation that we were being faced with, um, you know, I had to think about just in 2014, uh, there were discussions of closing Elizabeth City State University. And so being on the ground here, I immediately recognized how important this university is to Elizabeth City, to this region, Northeastern North Carolina, to the whole state of North Carolina and the UNC system as an economic engine in this part of the state. And uh, in doing so, uh, transformative leadership has to be in place and it has to be in a way that you are transparent in uh, helping everyone in the campus community and stakeholders understand the vision for moving forward, um, make that clear. Also, Uh, get the buy-in from the standpoint of this is something I can't do alone and I was very clear with my uh, groups that I met with to say hey this is not about me we all have to be in this we all have to be committed and dedicated to doing the right thing to building the foundation for the sustainability of this university because this region needs ECSU and it needs it to be thriving and it needs it to be strong. And so, uh, you know, that, that's just the premise of, of what I experienced on the front end as far as that transformation. But I also knew that I didn't have much time to do it. I mean, there, you know, there are things that needed to be done quickly um, and things that needed to be addressed. When I started at the university, we had 17 audit findings. We were on warning for our SACS accreditation. And you know, those are things that you can't linger. You have to act on them quickly. So having that clear-eyed vision, transparency, accountability, excellence, as part of the mindset, I needed the campus to uh, really understand and, um, and, re- and receive in a way that they, under- that they knew their part and their value in moving the university forward.
0: Thank you. So, so with all of those things that you just talked about, in particular, some of the things with SACS and some of the audit findings, there were some low hanging fruit. I yes. would and so how did you go about identifying the low hanging fruit to be able to, and that, because I'm assuming those early has also helped to, to gain, garner support for you.
1: Oh, definitely. Definitely. And those low hanging fruit, you know, sometimes I think as leaders uh, we take advantage of um The opportunities that we have to really make an impact on those low-hanging fruit. You know, sometimes we think such big picture, but the low-hanging fruit is uh, definitely a quick win, but it's also the things that people pay attention to most. And I'll give you an example of that. When I started here, um, you know, the campus was not in the best of shape in regards to uh, beautification. And so I put together a, a committee Uh, For beautification of the campus because I wanted our students to love where they live and learn. I walked this entire campus over 200 acres uh, and I pointed out things that were as you mentioned, Dr. Hardy low hanging fruit. Here's the things that we can do, you know, it doesn't make sense that there are is green paint on the wall and yellow paint on the wall on a university where our colors are royal blue and white, you know, that brings pride to the university. So the, the simple things as putting paint on the walls and, and cutting the grass and doing things that students recognize. And I have to say, even when I was doing those things, I didn't really understand the value of what I was doing as it pertains to pertain to how the students were receiving it. So um, I had a request from our student body project. President at the time, Robert Boone, and he uh, requested that this, he and his cabinet meet with me. So, of course, you know, as the vice chancellor for mm-hmm. student affairs, when the student body president requests to meet with you, you're like, okay, what did I do wrong? Did I do mm-hmm. something they don't like? Um, and so he and his cabinet came in my office and he said, uh, Dr. Dixon, he said, we see progress. Okay. And I said, really? I said, tell me, tell me more about this progress you see, because that's to you know, <laughs> intrigued me. Like, what, what? Tell me a little bit more. And he said, we see fresh mulch around the trees. Oh, wow. And that touched my heart because that showed me that these simple things, these low-hanging fruit things that we can do, students recognize and they appreciate. And that told me I can do so much more on this campus because these students deserve it. And I thought back to my undergraduate days, I didn't pay attention to mulch around the trees because the university I was at had plenty of resources and it was just part of the expectation. Right. But here at Elizabeth City State, when I heard my student leaders say, we see fresh mulch around the trees and that meant progress to them. I knew I was ready to, to get ready and run exactly. with it. Uh, Dr. Exactly. Harvey, that's what I did.
0: <laughs> you know, that that is really interesting, right? That, and, People don't really think that students are paying attention to that stuff until it's not there. And exactly. so, uh, those for doing that, Chancellor Dixon, very much so. So, so let me go to another part of, uh, of the question here. People talk about this thing called power, right? And what is power? And, and it has different meanings to different people. Abraham Lincoln once said, uh, said that nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. So here is, is sometimes it can have a negative connotation because people let power go to their heads. How have you been able to, um, to display and exert power in a positive way because, to be able to move that, that ship called ECSU?
1: So I, when I think of power, uh, Dr. Hardy, um, I exert power with responsibility. And I do understand the negative connotation of power. We've probably both experienced that or have observed that in our careers. But for me as a leader of this campus, I saw it as more of here's my responsibility to do the right thing for this university. It's the right time to do it. I have the right people around me and we have to do all we can to build a foundation for sustainability of this great university in Northeastern North Carolina. And so as I reflect on you know being a, 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 a career long um, experience, my career long experiences in higher education, power is something that I think people sometimes take for granted, but then also have to be put in position to truly understand how they as an individual fit into that. And I think for me, a lot of that is just responsibility, responsibility, accountability, transparency. Those are things that really make sense to me. And another thing I I note as a leader and my understanding of power is helping those who I'm responsible for to know that we're in this together. And, you know, this is not just about me. This is about we, it's about us. It's about doing the right thing for our institution and our students that we serve, faculty and our staff. And so for, for me, I, I really like to hone in on power as being a major responsibility for that individual that may have that title, uh, but doing it in a way that, uh, you know, you have people who want to follow you and people who want to be a part of doing the right thing. And that's what's been so important to me.
0: So you surround yourself with some good people too, to have a strong support system, and a, strong, a strong team there for you.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of that, too, I have to clarify, um, Dr. Hardy, is having a strong team, a strong uh, cabinet is critical to the success Mm -hmm. of any university, any organization. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had to go look for people who were going to be committed to uh, the work. And I have to tell you, I'm glad they showed up the next day, Dr. Hardy, uh, (laughs) because, you know, I didn't give them much. You know, we were really in the trenches of transformation here on this campus. And there were vice chancellors that I hired um, to take over divisions where I pretty much had to uh, clean house uh, from the standpoint of trying to uh, look at the cultural things that were keeping the university from moving forward on the um, from the standpoint of personnel, the standpoint of how we did things, policy practice all those things. So I didn't give them much to start with. But what I'm grateful for is the very, and very blessed is that they showed up the next day. They're just as committed as I am every morning to do the right thing for ECSU and our campus community. And so those, those people are important. Now, another part of that is I didn't want a lot of yes people around me either. You know, mm-hmm. I want people on my cabinet who are going to say, uh, Chancellor, you know, maybe we should look at this a different way. Um, And I always say, I'm a good listener. I will listen to you. I may not always agree, but that's okay, because you may have me look at something a little differently than how I'm looking at it. So I was really looking for people like that on my cabinet as well, that uh, have that experience, that skill, and will tell me, uh, you know, Chancellor, I I hear you. But, you know, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? And so not having just a whole bunch of yes people around me was very important because, you know, I see it as an op- opportunity for continued growth for me as a leader and for them as they lead their divisions on campus within the organization.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that one, Chancellor, in the sense of uh, you want you want different people with from different lenses to be there because it makes for a healthier conversation and and debate. So whatever the decision is, it's a much stronger decision because you've been able to look at it from different angles. Yes, I agree. So as you model the way for your vice chancellors and for others, um, I think it's important to have a clear sense of your own values and your own philosophy. So what is your leadership philosophy and how has it changed over and morphed from, from your various positions?
1: Dr. Hardy, you had to bring that one up, did you? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I say that because, um, you know, I struggled with this initially. So I was in uh, the Ask you, uh Millennium Leadership Institute. Mm-hmm. I was a protege there in 2013. And that was my first professional um, uh, development program that I was in. Later in 2016, 17, I was uh, appointed um, an ACE fellow out of Washington, DC, the American Council of Education. So I was able to spend a year at Wake Forest University as an ACE fellow, learning under uh, Nathan Hatch, who was just recently retired from Wake Forest University. And so, uh, you know, part of that application process, we had to develop a uh, leadership philosophy. But the challenge was that your leadership philosophy could not be more than 25 words. Oh, wow. Can you get that, uh, (laughs) Dr. Hardy? (laughs) And so, you know, I went draft after draft after draft trying to do this in the best way that I could uh, say what my leadership philosophy was. So here's what I came up with. Successful leaders use influence to create positive change by translating vision into action through critical thinking, integrity, listening to stakeholders, and making tough decisions. I was right at twenty five. at twenty five, <laughs> <laughs> and, and so you got it all in. Yes, and so you know, I, I put that in my one sentence statement on my leadership philosophy. But as I reflect on that, you know, I'll, I'll also look at um, Robert, Gle- Greenle- Leaf, yeah. Robert Greenleaf. Robert Greenleaf as he talks about, um, leadership philosophy from the standpoint of a servant leader. And Mm -hmm. I've always seen myself as a servant first. Um, I see the contributions I've made to the state of North Carolina, to the UNC system as a, as a, uh, servant leader here in higher education. And it just began to, you know, feel very natural as to who I am. And, um, you know, how I serve and, and, you know, being very conscious of how I aspire to lead. And so this quote, um, you know, from Robert, as he has, he talks about you being a servant leader first, um, you know, to me really illustrates that clear distinction uh, between being a leader first versus those who see leadership as being servant leader. Does that make sense? Yes. Uh-huh. And so that really helped me kind of think about what are those things I want to focus on as a leader. And so um, understanding what uh, Greenleaf was saying as servant leader helped me to put together my leadership philosophy and what are those critical things that I want to focus on as a leader. And the toughest one uh, is what I said lastly, you know, making those tough decisions. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was. Uh, really faced with one of the, you know the biggest challenge I had when I came to ECSU is having to make those tough decisions, and they're not always easy. And the the human side of us sometimes want to be or do things differently because we feel, um, you know, the you know the uh, emotional response of of your actions. But uh, as a leader of an organization with responsibility, you have to translate your vision into action and sometimes that's not always comfortable but it's something that we as leaders have to do and that falls in line with making those tough decisions.
0: Thanks for sharing your statement with us too that was very nice maybe something we ask others to do as they uh, as they're on the podcast so I like that one thank you. So now, uh, over this last 18 months or so, many people have been under stress, uh, most folks have been under stress because of the global pandemic, and particularly as a chancellor of an institution in having to make difficult decisions at difficult times. So share with us a little bit about um, how you how you lead under stress and it's not necessarily all about the pandemic but at any kind of stress. how have you led under stress and how do you effe- effectively manage stress of a different kind from various stakeholders be it your faculty, your students, um, your staff, your trust your trustees, whomever how do you your alumni even uh, but how do you manage the the, the pressures and the stress that, that are
1: um, emanated from those individuals? Well, first, thank you for acknowledging that this is a stressful job <laughs> altogether. It is. And, and sometimes I'm not sure uh, people understand how stressful it can be. But I've been here uh, as chancellor of Elizabeth City State University in a permanent capacity because I served as interim prior. But in a permanent capacity, I've been here for three years now. And um, over those three years, I have experienced two major hurricanes where I've had to evacuate the campus. And I've experienced um, a major cyber attack that um, was really shocking, the biggest cyber attack that any UNC campus has ever encountered. And I've also experienced just recently the pandemic, plus last semester, we had social unrest yeah. in our city. And so, when you talk about stress and the leadership piece of that, you know, what I've been able to do is really focus on having the data lead my decisions, knowing that the decisions that I'm making are the decisions that were best. Suited for the situation based on the intel or the data that I had at the time and then standing by my decisions and not everyone agrees or has always agreed with those decisions, but I find in myself peace as I protect my peace as part of my stress uh, regime. In um, you know that I did the right thing based on what I knew and what I know and how I could best protect my campus, my students, my faculty, and my staff. So that is not always easy. Um, stress also leads to some sleepless nights, <laughs> and you know experiencing things like that. Um, definitely, as I reflect back um, in the moment, were very stressful times. Uh, going through such major challenges um, year after year uh, on the campus. Uh, But just keeping that same uh, response from the standpoint of transparency and telling my campus, here's what's going on, here's what I'm trying to do, here's why I did it, and I need you all to fall in line with the next steps of response to whatever it is that we're we're doing. And so I, you know, as, you know, stress, I, I try to have some time uh, when I'm not in the office to just just meditate and pray and uh, let my you know kind of uh, ease you know I like to drink hot tea uh, so I'll have my cup of hot tea and and just kind of sit there and and just know that that anything that I do I do it for the welfare of not me but for the those that I serve. And, you know, and I also think about, you know, I have a sophomore in college myself. I have a daughter in college. And as I think about these things, these decisions I have to make, I think about, you know, if she was on this campus, um, you know, how would I want her to be treated? And I see these students here just as, as I see her and the same value of trying to do the right thing to protect and keep them um, you know, uh, abreast of of things that are going on. So stress is difficult. I could probably do a better job in how I deal with it personally. Uh, but, you know, this job is just one that, you know, you have to, there's so many unanticipated things that come up and you just have to um, know that you and your team are working together to do the right thing and and I just find peace in that and knowing that, you know, I'm doing what's best for the majority and and not just me or not just a few people.
0: Yeah, I, I've 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 found that if you keep people informed, right, you communicate and share as much as you as much as you can. You can't tell them all, tell, tell them everything. But if you keep people informed, even if they disagree with you. Exactly. They can accept that, you know, this is that this is the decision and the why. Exactly. Uh, mm-hmm. Exactly. Right, so, so I'm, I'm going to pick up a little bit on on um, the, the stress piece and how you take care of yourself. The tea. I'm a, I'm a tea drinker myself, so I get it. It is quite it, it for me, at least it's quite soothing. How, yes. do you, how do you restore and nurture yourself?
1: So for me, you know, a lot of how I restore is family time. So, you know, spending time with my husband, uh, spending time with our youngest daughter. We have a dog now. We have a pandemic dog. So we got a, a <laughs> dog during the pandemic and he's like another child, honestly. Yes. Um, and so, you know, I see great refuge in spending time with them, getting uh, things off my mind that way, uh, you know, because I, my 11 year old keeps me busy. And now that my oldest is in college, you know, I don't see her as often anymore as we did before. But, um, you know, just having that family time, that time just to sit back and and, and look at my daughter and, and look at how she sees me as a woman, as a leader uh, and how I'm setting for her that, you know, all things are possible and anything is possible for you as a woman. Uh, and you see that in the leadership that your mom is, is providing, you know, on this campus. And so just really seeing that growth in them and seeing that everything that I do, um, I do it for my, with my family in mind, I do it uh, to make sure that we're all good. And and so I just like spending that time. We go outside, we play uh, badminton, we play uh a jump rope and things like that outside. So I look forward to doing those things when I can with her, and that that really helps me a lot to just kind of let loose a little bit and 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 really focus on why why things <clears throat> in life are so important. Um, and burnout is real, and I don't want to get in in that uh, position of burnout. But uh, you know, I think that finding your outlet is a really is really important for any leader because there's so much on you all the time that uh, you have to really find a way to to get yourself in position to um, have some downtime. Yeah, it is It is important so that you can
0: keep going. Right. So um, uh, uh, I can't believe you know, on a personal note, you and I have known each other for quite a while and I just yes. can't I have a daughter who's a sophomore in college. Yes. That makes me feel a bit old. I'm going to tell you. Yeah, that. and and
1: she's <laughs> at your alma mater. <laughs> I know. <laughs> she's she's heard me talk a lot of great things about you, and I was happy that she's there. So thank yes, you so I'm much.
0: Good. Sure thing. All right, so let's let's stay on 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 the the family piece though, from from an angle of talking about gender. So you do have two beautiful daughters, yes. who you are a wonderful role model for how how do you see women being able to navigate and move themselves to, be, to become, uh, not become, but to get into those leadership roles, actually?
1: So I think based on my, as I reflect back and talk to groups about my journey in higher education and my journey in leadership, one thing that really stands out to me as a regret is that I didn't get a mentor early enough in my career. And I think about that because I know I made some mistakes um, prior to getting mentors uh, who were females uh, who may look like me, or and some don't. Um, but, you know, having that connection on the professional level, the, spirit, the spiritual level was very important. Right. And I just wish I would have done that sooner. Right. Um, but what I've learned is that women, we tend to not ask for what we want. Mm -hmm. And I say that because very often uh, men will go into a negotiation and they will ask for exactly what they want. No hesitation. Mm -hmm. nothing. Just here's what I want. As women, we sometimes feel as though we will be labeled if we ask for what we want, labeled as aggressive, assertive, um, asking for too much. And we hesitate to hesitate to do so. I think for us to really close the gap on equality, I think, A, we have to go in with that same mindset that men do from the standpoint of negotiation to say, here's what I want. Um, And and I say that because, you know, I am a person who has always asked questions um, and asked for things that I have wanted. And then when I got to my career, I thought, well, maybe, you know, I had those thoughts that women have often shared with me that they've had, too. Maybe I shouldn't ask for this because it's just a great, um, pr- is a privilege for me to even be considered. Well, if you have the skill set, you have the experiences, you have uh, what it takes to do well in that particular role, why are you doubting yourself based on experiences? Because they saw something in you. So never underestimate your value. And so in, in doing that, you know, I think, and what I tell women is go in there and ask for what you want. All they can do is say no, but at least, you know, you asked. And then my experience has been, even when they say no, or they say, I have to go ask this other person that's higher than them. I say, okay, I'll wait, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and because, because the thing is go ask the other person too, you know? And so I think, you know, as us as women, um, we have to know our value, what we bring to the table. And we have to be able to articulate that. We have to be able to present ourselves the same way that men do in a confident way, not assertive, not aggressive, even though we get those, those labels, but do it in a way that, you know, it's based on your record. Here's what I've been able to accomplish. And I, you know, want to be compensated for those accomplishments because I know I can do this job. I know I can do it well. And, you know, I know sometimes we walk into situations, because I have to say, just being a first-time chancellor, I didn't know, I thought I knew what being a chancellor was, but I didn't know all the uh, aspects or, or, or factors of what chancellors deal with on a daily basis. And, you know, I've heard people say, oh, chancellors are CEOs. Yes, we are CEOs, but let us also notice that chancellors serve so many different roles, working with alumni, working with staff, faculty, Um, you know, if a student uh, issue or death happens on campus, doing that, leading your team, Uh, you know, there's so many different pieces working in the community beyond just being a CEO. And so I think, you know, as we think about those things, we have to say that women, you know, it's the time, of, it, 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 Now is the time, you know, we're still hearing about women being first at, at things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, it's time for us to, to wake up and acknowledge that a woman can lead just as anybody else can. Correct. And um, we have to give women the opportunity to do so and pay them equitably uh, to carry out the same responsibilities you would hire a man to do. And I think a lot of us have proven that in our careers and um, there's still a slow movement there, but I think it's something that we got to continue to talk about and we have to continue to educate our boards of trustees and, and others to say, um, you know, let's get beyond uh, just thinking that a male has to lead. Um, we still have organizations where there's never been a female leader. Mm-hmm. we still have universities where there have never been a female leader um so you know now it's the time we're in 2021 you know the you know we have some things that that we uh can bring to the table it may be a little different approach but that's okay
0: yeah and again coming from a different lens it's actually not just okay it's necessary and, and right much value i uh and i agree with you about knowing your value i have a have several nieces with my 21-year-old niece right now, who's a senior at George Washington. Um, I talk to her all the time about know your worth. And, yeah. and, and not only know it, make sure other people know your worth. Right. So, yeah, I, I totally agree. We've got to start putting ourselves out there and asking for what we want. And one of the things that you just said that I really like is, you know, you tell folks, I'll wait. You go do what you need to do. Right, right? <laughs> you get back. Let me know the answer.
1: Right. Exactly. <laughs> All you can do is say no, but at least exactly. I asked. <laughs> you know, at least I asked. And, and that's the thing, you know, we sometimes have uh, the fear of failure, uh, the fear of imposter syndrome, the yep. fear of, you know, other things that we as women face. But at, at the end of the day, you don't want to walk away from that situation with any regrets. And if you don't ask, then that's a regret later on down the road when you see yourself in, in another position. You say, I wish I would have. Yes, exactly. So even if they say no, that's fine. But you put it out there. You put your question out there. You put your, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what, what it is that your expectations are. You put it out there. And then there's no regrets.
0: And the rest you can negotiate. And even if they say no, then you, it's, it's something you can learn from it. What do you need Exactly. To do it? Exactly so Chancellor Dixon you've you've achieved a great deal um, already what's something that you're very proud of so far in your career and something you're proud of in your personal life I think I know the personal life piece but uh, I'll ask it anyway
1: <laughs> well I you know I'm very proud of what I've been able to accomplish here at ECSU uh, with great uh, support from the UNC Board of Governors, from the UNC System Office, from the legislature, um, and from our advocates in Washington, DC, our trustees, our alumni. We have some amazing alumni at ECSU who really love this university. And you know, our faculty, staff, and our students, it just it, it just behooves me to see the progress that we've made um, in just a short period of time. Some people refer to it as miraculous because they've never seen a transformation like this take place at a university in such a short period of time. But I also keep in mind that we have to have a mindset of continuous improvement because though we see progress, we're not done yet. And there's still a lot of things that need to take place and that we need to establish. And so that is, you know, I'm very proud Uh, to lead this great university, very proud to uh, work with some wonderful people across the system um, and have done that, you know, even that over the 10 years I served at the UNC system office as vice president for academic and student affairs. And, you know, Dr. Hardy, you were definitely one of my favorites that always kept me on my toes um, in that position. So, you know, I have a lot to be proud of in regards to my career. I've been able to Learn higher education from a macro level. Working ten years at the system office with all seventeen constituent institutions, and you know, just working with our uh, community college colleagues across the state at the uh, community college system office with DPI, with you know, just a just a wealth of wonderful experiences that have really shaped me. Into the leader that I am today, and I've learned from some really great leaders as well, um, presidents of the system, and also uh, just the other colleague uh, vice chancellors and chancellors across the 17 institutions. So I, I'm very proud of of that. I'm very proud of my career, my journey in higher education. I'm you know going to continue to do so till it's time for retirement, <laughs> and uh, you know, and, and I'm excited about that. That's something I'm really proud of.
0: Ray and and, and personal life?
1: Uh, Personal life. I'm excited to have my husband. Uh, He is a great supporter, great partner. I can't do what I do without Mm -hmm. him and without him being a partner, a true partner in this and our two daughters and my dog, my dog, Dax, Um, my two daughters, they really, uh, you know, help me to see things sometimes differently uh, from the standpoint of how their generation sees things and how I relate to my students on my campus. Uh, They also are so supportive. Uh, Dr. Hardy, I have to tell you, I did not take this job at ECSU without us having a family meeting. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is what was most important to me is that um, my daughters were gonna be okay. My husband was gonna be okay. This was something new for us. My yes. daughter was in high school. My oldest was in high school at the time that I took this job. I didn't want to move her because she was in high school, varsity cheerleader, um, honor society. You know, just doing a great yeah. job at her high school. I didn't want to take that from her. So that partnership piece, as I talked about with my husband, as women, we have to uh, look at uh, different challenges than men at times in leadership. And so my husband, my two daughters, we sat down, we talked about it. I said. You know, I'm not going to be able to, to do this job if all of you all are not happy and are not, um, you know, or, or not supportive or, you know, I can't see myself waking up, going to the job, knowing that I'm, I'm leaving out something or, or mm-hmm. taking something away from you. And I'll never forget at the time, my daughter, my youngest was eight years old and she looked at me during our family meeting and she said, mom, you have to do this.
0: Oh, wow. And when I
1: heard that from her at eight years old, and yes. she was more than one that I was concerned about because I knew my oldest one was more, more, you know, independent. Um, but yeah. my eight year old looked at me and said, Mom, you have to do this. And, and that sealed the deal for me. And my husband told me, he said, we will make it work. And yeah. so, you know, I just, I'm just so thankful, so proud for the the three of them, plus our dog, <laughs> <laughs> um, who have been so supportive and they've been great champions of ECSU. And though we've had to sacrifice, um, you know, a few things as far as our time together, uh, yes. just getting her through high school and now in college, you know, all of that. They don't feel like they missed the a beat. And, you know, having that family meeting was very critical to me in uh, knowing that they were going to be OK and that we were gonna be okay, and that we were gonna be able to do this as a unit. So I'm, I'm, that's, I'm very, very proud of my family, my parents, uh, my sister, everyone who's been very uh, supportive in helping us uh, make this happen and, and support uh, my being a chancellor at Elizabeth C State University. Uh, that is beautiful. That, yeah, I got
0: chill bumps actually, as you was talking about your daughter, your younger daughter and what she said. That's, that's pretty awesome. Yes. So thank you so very much, um, Chancellor Dixon. We're going to wrap this up and and ask if there's any uh, any other words of wisdom or or tidbits you would like to share with our listeners.
1: Well, I would just say, you know, this pandemic has created a lot of uncertainty for everyone and mental health is critical. I I just say, you know, continue to um, be who you are, walk in your purpose but also know that you're not alone and that there are people out there to help. Uh, There are people out there to help you even advancing your career. That's why I talk to as many groups as I can about my journey because I want to help others. Um, I am one who believes in passing the baton. I don't believe that anything I have done or anything I'm doing now is territorial. I want to see other women uh, in these positions and other women of, of color in these positions of leadership across our state and across our nation. So I just say, you know, we have to help each other, uh, no matter where we are in life, and we have to be there for each other. That's the only way that we're going to be successful with our well-being. And um, ask people, you know, don't sit in, in in isolation and think that there's nobody out there. There's somebody out there to help. And I just thank you, Dr. Hardy, for this podcast, this opportunity to have me share my experiences. And I am a resource. So if anybody wants to get in contact with me, please do. Uh, But thank you all for your continued support and walking in your purpose, because we all have to do this together and we all have to be there for each other.
0: Thank you, Dr. Dixon, for joining us for this podcast. We have greatly appreciated learning more from you and um, and understanding how you've been able to navigate this particular transformation. What we've heard from you today and appreciate is that yes, as a transformational leader, you've been able to demonstrate to folks and show the importance of responsibility, being accountable and being transparent with all your stakeholders. And as you do so, that allows for trust building and credibility and greatly appreciate about all your stakeholders. You've talked with us about how you translate words into action, and how those actions lead into very good results. And one of the really th- really important things that I enjoyed listening to you was how you've talked about being a role model for not only your two daughters, but for so many others, and particularly women, and helping women to understand and understand and know their value, and how to exactly present their value to others. And as you talk with us again about this navigation, Dr. Dixon, one of the last things I want to say to folks and repeat from me that you said was walk in your purpose. Know your purpose, know your value, and then walk in your true purpose. We are very appreciative of you, not only for joining us today, but for all the great work that you have done as you are continuing to transform Elizabeth City State University. We really do appreciate you, and we're very proud of you. Thank you all, listeners, for joining me today for Leadership Unscripted, Navigating Your Leadership Journey with Dr. Carrie Dixon, Chancellor for Elizabeth City State University. Join me for the next episode as we continue this journey of becoming successful and effective leaders. This has been Virginia Hardy, and I am your host for Leadership Unscripted, Navigating Your Leadership Journey. Thank you for joining Dr. Virginia Hardy today for Leadership Unscripted: Navigating Your Leadership Journey. Are you looking to make the leap from your current role to a leadership position? Or you are a current leader looking to sharpen your edge? Join Dr. Virginia Hardy for new podcast episodes each month for more leadership content meant to inspire, empower and influence your individual path on leadership development.